Welcome to Growing Your Team, a podcast designed for small business owners seeking to grow their company with the help of employees and contractors. Your time is limited, which means growing and leveraging teams is essential for business success. The Growing Your Team podcast is the place to learn tips and techniques designed to help you know when it's the right time to hire, how to select perfect fit team members, and how to maximize productivity while creating a positive work environment. Drawing from her 10 plus years of leadership and hiring experience, here is your host, Jamie Van Kuyk. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Ken McGarry. Ken is the co-founder of Krogan Hospitality, a nationwide consultant firm dedicated to helping restaurateurs reach their absolute potential with effective leadership and maximum profitability. For the past two decades, he has helmed many successful restaurants, bars, and entertainment-based venues with a relentless focus on appreciatory service, staff empowerment, and attentive hospitality. Ken has helped launch new concepts and train hospitality leaders throughout the U.S. and Canada. During this conversation, Ken and I are talking a lot about how to make employees feel valued when they're in typically what is seen as high turnover positions. And we're connecting that, making them feel valued to turning them into long-term employees where what you're able to offer them matches what they are looking for in your establishment when it comes to a place of employment. We're also talking about how to balance when you have those high turnover positions, the team members that are going to turn over quickly because maybe they're college students or younger or seeing your opportunity as a stepping stone in their career with the team members who are looking at that position as a long-term opportunity or a way to grow within your company. While a lot of what we talk about is restaurant-specific, it applies to so many industries. I know there are a lot of business out there that hire seasonal workers or are struggling right now to get team members in the door to what may be seen as lower pay positions. There is so much information in this episode that is going to apply to you. So let's jump into the conversation. Hi, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you, Jamie. Really happy to be here. Can you kick us off today with telling everybody who you are and a little bit about your business? Sure. My name is Ken McGarry. I am the founder of Corgan Hospitality and the Chief Operating Officer of Fabio Viviani Hospitality. And I just recently published a book called The Surprise Restaurant Manager, and basically called that because most of us in the restaurant industry were kind of put into management as a surprise. You're a bartender one minute, next thing you know, someone hands you the keys and says, hey, do you mind locking up? And then you're doing scheduling. And the next thing you know, you're a manager and no one ever trained you. And that doesn't help you for staff development, retention, training, coaching, or even termination. So I wrote a book that kind of helps that all along the the way. 
Yes. I, I love that. So some of my first jobs were in, uh, in restaurants and everything. And so, well, I never became a manager of the restaurant. I, I, I'd seen things like that. I know they didn't trap like you that. into it. They didn't, they didn't back you into a corner and handed the keys and say, nope, do it. You're going to, you're going to be a manager now. And nope. Never happened to me. I think I was very clear of this is a part-time job as I'm going to school and I'm going to be out of here. So that's good. That Establishing boundaries right there. That's very, very smart. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I'm so excited to really talk to you today because I know it's definitely when it comes to staffing and teams and everything, there's things that are unique or really seem unique about the restaurant industry, but I also feel like they blend so well with things in, in other industries that are, might not be so obvious. So you probably have not only information. So if anyone's here in the hospitality industry can really learn from today, but if you're not in the hospitality industry, keep listening because there's so many things that I think once we get into that are going to blend so well with under other industries. Yeah. I definitely think that it translates across multiple industries, especially talking about hiring, training, coaching, and the methods behind that. Yes. So to kick us off, one of the first things I just want to ask you about is kind of the, the elephant in the room. So as recording this, we are in the end of September. Mm -hmm. And right now you hear a lot of things in the hospitality field and the restaurants are having extremely hard time finding staff, which is not a problem. That's just for that industry. If you talk to people in other industries, they're having a hard time. So what is that some quick advice or anything that you can give to help navigate now? Well, that has become the mantra, the, the marching order of all restaurants, how challenging it is to find staff. And it truly is. I'm not downplaying that at all. Uh, I will tell you that it wasn't too easy in 2019 either. And a lot of that has to do with the climate of what it is to work in restaurants. So the ones that are successful and the ones that are competitive have changed the conversation with their teams. So instead of delegating and barking and leading in hot kitchens and environments that are not welcoming or conducive to where people are looking at as a temporary stopgap position until they move on to something else, you're giving people the opportunity to work alongside them, coach differently, and then provide them the opportunity to look at it as a career. So it's changed a lot having to do with how companies manage and in doing so, those restaurants have been able to attract and retain top talent. Ooh, I love so many things that you said there. And it reminds me of some of the things that have just recently gone out in some of the uh, most recent episodes. So episode 101 with Kaylee Tinnan, we talked a lot about training and everything. So I'm assuming more of the stuff we're going to talk about today is probably going to echo a lot of what we talked about in that episode. And then episode, I believe it's 98 with Ryan Halo, we talk about things in the in the beauty industry and kind of training your team members and making it so it's kind of like a career versus, okay, you're going to come in and cut hair and hopefully you like cutting hair forever. It's like, no, how do you make it a career with progression and everything? So if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, make sure you go listen to them as well. But yeah, I, I love that. And I, I think you, you mentioned two things that were kind of like two different sides of the same thing that I kind of want to dive a little bit more into because you mentioned like kind of temporary. So people finding it is that, that job along the way, which as we just talked about, like I, I was in the restaurant industry for me it was when I was in college and it was only going to be like, I am here until I graduate and get my full-time job. And then I'm out, which until it, which you get your happened. real job, which, until is I get the, my which is the term that all of us career people are like a really, because this is our real job. 
but yes, our our business is definitely replete with people that are looking at it as being a short term, and yeah. their motivations for working are completely different, especially when you're talking about kitchen versus front of the house. Yeah, but then you said like there's the other people that it is like you said it's their career. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance that? Like when you know, okay, and I feel like unless maybe, maybe I'm wrong here is that probably most restaurants, most people in the hospitality space need to have a mix of both in order to really fill their positions. Is that true? Or can you, can you really create a restaurant and, uh, that has more of those that kind of like find those people that are there for their career and only focus on those team members? Or do you really need those temporary staff as well? Oh, you definitely need the temporary staff because that is what attracts to restaurants. It's just, Unfortunately, a lot of people look at that as being a negative and saying, well, you know, this person's only going to be there for three months or six months. So why invest the time? Well, because not investing the time and not working with those team members only devalues your the buy-in for the hospitality that you're trying to create. Because in our industry, it's all about the excitement of the staff who's talking to our guests. And training is great. And don't get me wrong, I am definitely a advocate for as much training and development and menu knowledge as possible. But at the core, the most important are the things that I have to look for in interviewing that I can never train, which is work ethic, uh, positivity, personality, because that same person that I see in the interview and that I'm excited about seeing is going to be the same person that you're going to be excited about seeing at your table. And everything else, we can develop. Yeah. Ooh, work ethic. How do you determine that during the interview? Oh, so there are so many methods when you're going through and asking people about not only the jobs that they've had, but why they've had the jobs. And one of the biggest factors, because most people are are employed or were recently employed, is to figure out what it was at their previous position that didn't work for them. And it could very well be something as easy as the choice in culinary, that it was more casual and they wanted to elevate to fine dining, or that it was fast paced and they wanted it to be slower, whatever, whatever it was that made them decide to move on. But one of the big, big determiners of work ethic is whether or not they choose to bash the place that they were before, because there's a natural tendency in an interview in any market in any industry to say, well, I left this place because these people were terrible, or this man, this, these owners are bad. And that is such a huge red flag, because anybody who's willing to step on the reputation of their previous employer in order to make themselves look like there's a justification for leaving will only do that with you when looking to move on from you. And that's, if someone does that in an interview, I will politely begin to glaze over and smile and think, well, not going to hire this person. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Like there's a big difference between like someone throwing people under the bus and then properly explaining the issue of like, maybe it was bad management. You're like, I didn't feel supported in ways where you can talk about it from a, a place where, you know, it's not that, it's not that negativity. It's, it's that you're looking for something different and versus like, oh, everything was horrible. Right. There, there's, there's a definitely a difference between saying, you know what, I really felt that I wanted a succession plan for growth and development, and that wasn't provided, and I didn't see an avenue in order to be able to do that, or 
they just stuck me there and they didn't care about my development. And all of that is the exact same response, but it has to do with caging it positivity of why you're looking to develop and grow versus, oh, those people suck and I really don't want to, you know, and that's, that's what you have to avoid because that, that is a very big red flag that makes you go up. They're, they're not going to be super positive here and they're not going to be super positive with your staff. And so you have to watch out for that. Yeah. It is one of the things that you said that I find kind of funny is when I got my last, my last restaurant job, I was there for two years in college and everything. And when I applied for the job, I was getting ready to have to like have that interview and be like, and explain why I had seven jobs in the last two years. <laughs> and now some of them were because I worked at a bar when I was home over the summer, but I can't work at a bar in New York when I'm in school in Florida. So obviously that one was temporary. I also worked two different summer camps that were short-term, like they were each short-term things. Like, and it was a lot of, and then I worked at the school and um, doing a program that, that I didn't qualify for the next year. So I had to give up that that work study. And like, there was all these things. I was like, well, there's a reason why I have seven jobs. And I was actually shocked when they didn't even ask me about that. And I'm just like, wait, I just handed you this application that could be full of red flags. And you didn't even ask me about it. I would have asked you about it. I, I, I wouldn't have discounted it. I wouldn't, uh, I absolutely would look at your, your motivations. Why? And the fact that you're willing to go work while going to school and do other things as well as working at a camp, which is a great community involvement means that you can also work with people of different ages and develop and communicate differently. There's a lot of benefit to all of the things that you've done over those seven positions, but I definitely would have asked seven, how did, how did we get to seven and then try (laughs) to understand it from there? Yes. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I always tell people when you're looking at people's resumes, like people are like, I don't want people that job hop all over the place. I'm like, well, sometimes you got to look at it and, and ask those questions and dig a little deeper to find out why, Mm -hmm. you know, some of them, they don't put that temporary on there, but they could have been temporary things. It could have been, like we said, that you were in, like for me, I was in college, I was home over the summer and then in Florida during the school year where I can't have a job that's in both places at, at once. I can't keep a job at another state. And like some things like that, where you find out there's, there's reasons why there's that job, but looks like job hopping was there. Sure. And I think that especially as a restaurant manager, the First off, it's a thankless job, and quite honestly, you do it because you're wanting to move on to something greater. My book, I call it boot camp. You're doing training so that you can develop uh, onto senior management or maybe own your own place or pivot to events or culinary, but being just a restaurant manager means that you went from being a bartender where you were making twice as much money for half as many hours and way more fun and way less responsibility to having to do a lot of the grunt work for a lot less. So you have to really kind of think of the, the reasons why you choose to be in this industry. And like with any, with any position, it's why am I taking this kind of entry-level position and where is that going to get me and what's my determiner? And if you don't have that plan and if you also don't take control of your own growth, and, and not just wait for somebody to recognize, oh, we're going to hire that person to make them a, you know, a GM now, but you actually take an active role in being your own PR agent to try to move to the next level, then you are going to have seven jobs and you are going to jump around every two years simply because you found yourself in that same hole of jumping into different boot camps instead of figuring out how to make it to the next level. 
Ooh, so let's talk about really making it to the next level and what the business owner can do to help people get to the next level. So true business owners, true mentors will look at their team, whether hourly, salary, 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 and they'll say simply, look what this person offers. Let's make sure we connect up with them every 90 days, every six months. Let's talk about what their growth is. Let's look at see if that they have potential to want to make this from a job to a career. They will take these opportunities to have feedback. And that's great. But I don't see that a lot in restaurants. I see that in great owners. And I am thankful because I have had more than a few um, along my path. But the majority of restaurant owners are too mired in figuring out all the other challenges of keeping the doors open or, you know, most recently working through restrictions and doing all of those other things. And if you are a good manager, then they're thinking you're doing a really good job to stay in that kind of position. So one of my big focuses is that we were all taught very young to be quiet and be respectful and not be loud and not be boastful. And those things that your mom taught you as a kid don't work in business because you have to be the person that is your own PR agent. You have to be the person that's willing to trumpet your successes and talk about your achievements. You just have to do it in a way that doesn't become boastful, but it becomes reminding of what you're doing, which is why I'm an advocate of flooding inboxes of owners, of senior managers to saying, hey, this week, these are the challenges that we face. This is what we were able to accomplish. This is what we're doing. This is what I'm thinking is going to bring in more sales. This is what I'm going to think is going to, to, and not every idea you're going to come up with is going to be great. Half of them are going to be hilarious, but it still doesn't stop the fact that you're thinking of it from an entrepreneurial standpoint, because the growth in any business is that at one point you move from being an operator of dealing with the business that's coming in versus thinking entrepreneurially as the, if you were an owner of how to attract people from the outside to walk into your business. And the minute that you show that you have that skill, you become a good candidate for senior management, for being a GM, for, for having your own store, for growth and promotion. I like that. Yeah. So like some of those things, like you're kind of talking about it from a management perspective, but I feel like even from an individual contributor perspective, like your, your staff, whether it's waiting the tables, cooking the food and stuff like that to create that atmosphere where they feel confident and comfortable bringing those things to your attention when you're that person at the top and having them be able to bring bring their challenges to you kind of like, and how I work through it. You know, it's sometimes those things like some of your top team members, they're good at helping to navigate the issues that go on that you might not even realize that they actually happened. And if they don't tell you about it, how are you supposed to know? And so creating that atmosphere where that, yes, they're allowed to toot their own horn and be like, guess what we accomplished? You know, while mm -hmm. you were focused on this, we were able to do this. We, we fixed the situation and we're good. Oh, and now I have this idea of, can we, can we try this? Can we implement this? So when you talk about that, all I think of is every single job that I've ever had. And I think I can run you a foot race of the number of jobs that I've had in my life. It's been quite a lot, but every single one has always said, we have an open door policy. And 
every time that you try to use that open door, you find out it's shut and it, <laughs> because it's just not real. Uh, and th there's a simple point in that. The intention of saying that you have an open door, we would love your feedback, your thoughts is genuine. When I'm looking at trying to make the bar staff better, I'm going to talk to the bartenders. I'm not going to be the one to tell the bartenders how to do it. However, open door policies in any industry is predicated on the person being in a headspace to listen. So, for example, in training, if you are going through training to take a new position, you are walking in every day and sitting down and saying, okay, I have to be in a headspace to be open to listen. You learn this in school. It's that I know at this point I have to pay attention because there's something that I'm, I'm willing to be open for. But a lot of times when you have an open door policy, someone will approach you in the middle of your business. It could be 13 things going on and someone to walk over and say, hey, I have a really great idea on how to do something. And you're like, that's fantastic, but I've got this going on over here and I've got this and I've got this guest that's upset and I've got to figure these things out. And that means that that great idea falls to the wayside because the person you're trying to communicate with, the open door is closed. So you have to create avenues that allow yourself to be open. So create scheduled times as teachers do with their office hours to where that they know that those are the times that they're going to be available to have conversations. Schedule yourself um, via email on times to sit down. I often use an anonymous feedback form, which allows people to respond back to me. So even in the moment, if they have a great idea, but I might not be currently available, that they can write those things down to let me know. All of that builds staff engagement. And between that and including staff in the decisions of hiring other staff, it helps because who better to figure out who's going to be the next bartender than the existing bartenders? And it helps with buy-in and it helps everyone feel like they're a part of the process, which is goes back to what we talked about in the beginning is changing the mindset of, aren't you so lucky to be working for this great company versus thank you so much for being here. We really need your help. And we're really, really appreciative to work alongside you. Yes. It's not so much that um, people are thankful anymore that they you're just giving them a job. Like people aren't just looking for a job. They're looking for that place where they feel like they really belong, whether it is because they're, they're looking for that temporary place just to hold them over until they finish school or anything like that. Or they're looking for the long-term home. Like we're talking about, there's a lot of people like yourself in the hospitality field that are career people there, like might start as that bartender, might start at that server and are going all the way up to owning their own locations and everything, or being a manager of someone's like someone else's like location and stuff. And you have to make sure that people feel valued at every level. Without question. And I think that that is the most important aspect is that that valuation means that they have to have a voice. It's the idea of coming up with a good idea from anywhere. And it doesn't come from the top. It comes from anybody. And it's celebrated. And you build a culture to where it's inclusive. And you don't work in a system to where uh, people being punished in public is somehow an acceptable response. That's one of my chapters is how to lose good people. And it's just all the, all the missteps that managers will often take that drive good people away. And most of it is bolstering and feeling like that they 
are the ones that are in control. And the minute that you realize that being a manager has very little to do with control and has a lot more to do with just your areas of responsibility and being able to, to figure out what maneuvers and empowers and excites others, the better you're going to have at being a good manager. Right, right. All right. So I want to go back to something that you said earlier. So you gave the example of sometimes, okay, someone will go from being a bartender to being a manager. Mm -hmm. And with the bartender, they're typically sometimes making more money. They have more fun. Way more money. And now here they are, they're in this position that has a lot more responsibility and maybe not as much immediate reward. So how do you help people navigate that transition, that change and see it as a positive? The the reality of bartending, and this isn't for all people and everyone, but a lot of times bartending has an expiration on it, especially if you're like a nightclub bartender or someplace it's like, or maybe you're a college bartender. Um, You're not going to be able to do that when you're 40. You're not as much as we'd like to pretend is you're just not. Now, there are definitely great bartenders who are doing it into their 60s and 70s. Steakhouses are fantastic for that. But the majority of people say, I can't bartend my entire life. And they think, I actually enjoy this industry. I enjoy people. I enjoy what we do. I would love to see what growth looks like. And so you welcome them over and build them into being managers with the understanding of where, how long is it going to take for me to understand this? And then what are my next steps and how do I get to a path? Because until you become a GM and until you move beyond to multi-level and all those things from a compensation standpoint, you're not going to, you're not going to make as much. So you're doing it as a long-term advantage. And if you're left to just wilt in that position, because you just put them there, people will go, well, this isn't worth it. And they'll either try to be a manager somewhere else or they'll go back to bartending. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I like that. And it's really about also finding out what, what they want and then helping them to develop those skills. So it's not necessarily putting someone into that manager position because you need someone in that manager position. It's finding the person who's, who's ready for that next step who wants something different is starting to look towards the future. And maybe even as like their, their manager, who's going to be putting them into that position, sometimes helping people understand what that future looks like and the reality of, of the landscape of the industry. Yep. And it's also very important when you're building your team is that you're looking at what the situation is and who works best in in different situations. For example, the there's a different in staff, whether management or hourly, for new store restaurant openings versus existing. Because if you're somebody who likes everything figured out and everything in its place, and you like structure and organization, then you're going to be exceptional once the place opens, but you are going to be terrible when you're opening it because there are a thousand things that are going around and being changed. That's also where the creativity is, but it's where the chaos lies. So one of the big things that I talk about in interviewing is hobbies, because if you're somebody like myself who loves documentaries and guitar and things like that, then you're probably introspective. You're probably more intellectually driven, but it also means that you might not be the same team player 
you know, person who's, who's go with the flow as somebody who plays rugby on the weekend, because that's somebody who's used to calling 30 different plays and working with other people and trying to just figure out different ways to, to achieve a goal. You use different methodologies to figure out how comfortable people are in chaos and realize that the people that love the creativity are never the people that stick around in a year because once it's all figured out, they're bored. And so knowing what the position is and looking to those positions, to, to the other aspects of their lives to define it helps us immensely in our industry. Right. Kind of what you were saying, I feel like it applies to another area as well of like really knowing people's skills and strengths because if like I know from any of the restaurants and bars and stuff that I worked at, there's slow days and slow shifts. They're just naturally slow and other days where things are more chaotic. And if you know people's personalities and strengths, you might have those people that really thrive on those slow days and that's where they want to be. They're happy there. And then you have other people that go in on those slow days and you're like, oh my gosh, this is like watching paint dry. Like where, Mm -hmm. what is going on? And then vice versa, those crazy days, someone's like, yes, like this is amazing. I'm rushing around, but I got it. Where other people are like, I'm in the weeds every, every second I turn around. Like, I can't, like, this is super stressful. I can't wait for the shift to be over. So knowing those strengths so you can like schedule people appropriately. Well, and that also goes to coaching because there are people that you put on the slower shifts because they can't do the, the quicker shifts. And a lot of times that is seen through scheduling and it's a very passive response from management. So instead of having a straightforward conversation with a team member and saying, hey, you know what? You're a two table section person, but Todd over there is a four table section person. And they just simply manage through scheduling. So this person is always stuck in the slow lane, but never given the reasons why. And true management is not, it's, it's not T-ball. You don't, everyone gets a turn and then you know that this person's going to struggle. It's all right. So Sarah, you are a two table section person. Todd is a four table section person. And here are the three things that you can do in order to become a four table section person. And then that's where you manage with data. It's you need to work on your your turn times and your check averages and your tip percentages and things that you can actually measure because true management in any industry fails when it becomes I feel and I think. Yes. Those, those terms are great for marriage counseling, but they are terrible for management because we've all worked with people who are like, I really feel Todd's energy could be better. And you're like, what does that mean? Those are the same people who tell you, I really wish you'd smile more. And you're like, you suck. You're a terrible, terrible (laughs) manager because none of that's real. That's emotion based. So you have to manage teams and you have to manage your environment with data. Yes. Yes. I love that. I'm such a data person and I agree 100%. And I feel like when you, when you can go back and show people, like, then you're like, okay, like, here's, here's why, like, let's see it. Like, here's where you can improve when these numbers are improving. Okay. And then continue to talk to them about it. All right. Like another week or time period, whatever that time period has gone by and they say, okay, here's, here's the changes that were made. Here's where there weren't any changes. Okay. What can we do and help them create those action plans? How do you, what actions can they take to get a higher a tip percentage? What actions can they take in order to turn tables quicker or whatever those measurements are? Instead of just saying, you need to improve in this area. Help right. them see it. Help them. You just learn need to how. be better, and yeah, that be which better. helps nobody. You know, yeah. that's and that you you see that a lot in performance evaluations when they're giving you a score from one to five, and it's like 
Oh, your personality. Well, you get a three. Well, why? Well, because you could be a you could be have a better personality. Well, what does that mean? And that's that's a great way to demotivate staff is by just working in these very intangible responses. Mm-hmm. And like with everything, like I feel like it's definitely flows over to so many under other industries because one of the things that I feel like happens a lot is people will complain because they're like, oh, my staff member was just trained and now they want a raise. And they're like, they don't, don't deserve a raise yet. It's like, well, helping them realize like sometimes the pay, different pay levels, like here's where you, where you are, here's where you need to be in order to get that next raise, to be at that next level. Here's the difference. Like, and here are, like you said, the measurable things that make the difference, not just smile more like right exactly you need to actually improve in this area you need to have so many experiences in this area you need to have this result in order to prove that you are at this next level that you can handle this next level yep and in every industry there are definable measurable uh kpis that allow you to figure out how people are, are performing and that's the only way for it to work and just being an even straightforward manager creates a leadership position to where people emulate that. And ultimately you become the role model for why people might consider this as a career instead of a stopgap job until they make it on you know, television or uh, on, as a rock star or whatever else that they wanna be. Right. But like you said, we need those people too. because they We 100% the need that. My <laughs> entire industry is predicated on that. But yep. but if I can build somebody from that who's directionless or like myself who got an English degree, which is great fun for if you're writing a book, but otherwise not really translatable unless I'm going to be teaching, uh, it became the industry that I fell in love with. And But when I was in my 20s and handed the keys and said, you're going to be a manager now, it was the last thing I thought I would be doing as I near 50. Right. Well, look at that. You got that English degree, then you created a career outside of it and you still wrote and I a book. finally used it. it took me 30 yes. years, but I finally Wait. used it. Let's you go. used it. All right. All right. Well, I have one more thing I want to talk about before we start wrapping up for today. So you mentioned before, like sometimes people then will, will go different paths, whether it's like, okay, maybe your, your restaurant, your place is more casual. They want to go into fine dining or going to culinary school or things like that. How do you navigate those things where you're experiencing the loss, but people, people's paths are taking them other ways? I, one of the things that I employ, and I think it's very uh, underutilized, is exit interviews because I need to figure out why people are leaving. And I have an outside company that does that. And so then that way, it's not just somebody within the organization. It's a true deep dive to figuring out why are we losing this person? And what it was it us? Was it the environment? Was it from a culinary standpoint? And we they are very, very well-versed in being able to dig to the truth because people in excellent interviews sometimes want to just be nice and congenial and get out, but they're leaving you. And it's not as though that if, if they're leaving you because they've been waiting to get a job in another career and that career came through, then that's a totally understandable move. That is different from somebody who leaves one restaurant to go work for a restaurant down the street. And so figuring out that reason why, and if your communication with that person and ever the people's communication with that person doesn't give you a true sense of why, 
and you've looked in the mirror and figured and have been unable to figure that out, then get somebody who can, because that will just become systemic and you will see people leave over and over again. And you'll be left with going, why can't I keep good people? And oftentimes it's you because people work for people. They don't work for companies and it very well be, might be the way you communicate. It might be your expectations. It might be a, a hundred things. You just need to figure that out so it doesn't repeat and ultimately tank your business. Or it could not necessarily not be you, but be someone else in the organization. Exactly. So if there's a manager between you and the team and everyone's quitting that manager, you know, that because manager needs because to Because your chef is intolerable and throws pans and it drives you. <laughs> sure. Sure. And at that point, if you know that you're holding on to weakness because, oh, you know what? The chef's very good, but yes, he's, he's mean to the staff. Well, then you're going to, you're, you're allowing yourself that opportunity for people to leave and you have to re-examine truly who fits the mold for what's going to keep everybody happy. Right. Exactly. All right, Ken, this was such a great conversation today. Tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. So you can get in touch with me at Corgan, that's K-O-R-G-E-N, hospitality. My wife's name is Morgan. I'm Ken, so you can see where we adorably came up with the name of the company. But uh, there, you can reach out to me for any questions that you might uh, might want to talk about. Uh, you can check out my book. It is uh, sold in all great places where books are sold. Uh, you can listen to the audio book if you want to hear this voice for five and a half hours. Then it is on Audible. And most importantly, you can download it for 99 cents. And I do that simply because I think it's more important for it to come out than it is for that to be a profit center. So you can go onto Amazon and download the book for 99 cents. And if you're in a market or an area to where you just want a PDF version, I just had a guy from Dubai yesterday reach out and say, I can't download it from my area. Can you send me a PDF? And I'm like, sure, and share it with absolutely everyone. Because to me, Getting the information out, especially now where a lot of people are being thrown into restaurant management because of the lack of staff is way more important than anything. It's the, the one thing that I think I can do to help out. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Ken, one more question that I love to ask all my guests. We've all had leaders or managers that stood out to us. Think of the most impactful leader or manager that you have had or that you've had the privilege to work with. And can you share with us one thing that made them stand out as a great leader to you? Sure. So what, as I mentioned, I had a uh, English degree. And so I spent some time writing for a small newspaper in Southern Oklahoma called the Sulphur Times Democrat. And it's as small as you would think. Uh, but it was just literally myself and the publisher who would write this entire thing. It was a weekly um, it was a weekly publication. And so I remember my first week there and I wrote all these articles, very proud of what we did. We talked about some sort of planting of an elm tree or whatever. Again, very small town, but we created this entire newspaper and then we were done. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. So I can't wait till next week. He's like, what are you talking about? Now we have to go downstairs and we have to go roll these newspapers. And I said, what? And he says, yeah, we got to go stuff the flyers and we have to go roll these. So then we went downstairs and we stuffed, we pulled them all off, we stuffed them. And I said, all right, so who comes and picks them up? And he just looked at me and smiled. And I was like, okay, I get what this means. And I learned very quickly that oftentimes you're expecting other people to do things 
when it should always just be the expectation of, let me guess, I'm going to load the truck up and start throwing papers, then great. And that's exactly what we did. And it made me feel a sense of completion and made me realize that you have to see tasks from the beginning to end. And anytime that you think that you can delegate and let other people do and take your foot off of it, then you're on a level, you're missing out on the joy of what it is to be a part of the process. So he taught me at a very young age that you see things all the way through. And I'll never forget that feeling of, yep, I'm going to go through papers now. And all of that means I've been able to deliver from beginning to end. Awesome. I love that. All right, Ken, thank you so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. You shared so much information that I know is going to help so many people both in the hospitality space and beyond. Jamie, I really do appreciate your time and thank you so much for the opportunity to be on your show. And that wraps up this episode of the Growing Your Team podcast. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, and you have not done so yet, please subscribe to the Growing Your Team podcast so you can stay up to date on all the latest episodes and hear all the greatest tips from our guest experts on how you can grow your team so you can scale your business. And if you haven't done so yet, please consider leaving us a review. I would love to hear what you think of the podcast and your review will help other people decide if this is the right podcast for them. So once again, thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Growing Your Team with your host, Jamie Van Kite. Be sure to subscribe and head on over to growingyourteam.com to connect, access the show notes, and discover more ways to hire and leverage your perfect fit team.